0: Some of you may have heard of Corrie Ten Boom. She's much better known by the previous generation. She was a very popular speaker, writer in the mid 20th century. The Ten Boom family lived in Holland, what we today call the Netherlands. They lived in Holland, not far from Amsterdam in the city called Harlem. It was just before World War II. And when the war broke out, the German army occupied Holland and began gathering Jewish people wherever they could find them to send them off to the concentration camps. Now, the Ten Boom family was a Christian family. With great compassion, they took in Jewish people secretly and hid them in their home. They fed them and protected them, hoping they could go unnoticed by the German authorities until the war was over. But someone betrayed them. So the German troops raided the Tin Boom home, captured the Jewish people they were hiding, and sent the whole family away, even the elderly, frail father. They all went into concentration camps. Corey and her sister Betsy went to Ravensbrook women's concentration camp, where Betsy died from the, the harsh conditions there. Well, the war ended. In 1945, and this true story happened in 1947. Corey is back in Germany. God has sent her now to the world as sort of what she liked to call a tramp for the Lord. That was her own phrase she liked, and there was a best selling book by that name, Tramp for the Lord. That's what I'm going to be reading from. She was sent to tell people all about Jesus Christ and the good news of salvation and what he's done for us. And I I read now from her book entitled, Tramp for the Lord. I was in a church in Munich. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavy set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947 and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with a message that God forgives. It was the truth they most needed to hear in that bitter bombed out land and I gave them my favorite mental picture. When we confess our sins, I said, God casts them into the deepest ocean gone forever And then he puts up a sign that says, no fishing allowed. I like that so much. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others as they were leaving. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next moment, a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard one of the most cruel guards at Ravensbrück concentration camp. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood froze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. He was saying, I was a guard there. No, he didn't remember me. But since that time he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? I stood there. I, whose sins had again and again been forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, horrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there handheld out. But to me, it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. I knew it was not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. Now we will return to that story just a bit later. But as you can see, the well had gone dry on Corey's forgiveness. And I tell you friends, forgiving people who have wronged us is one of the most difficult things we will ever, ever do. But if the power and presence of Christ in our lives can work there in a moment like that, in the act of forgiveness, it can work anywhere. What do you do when the well goes dry on your forgiveness. Ephesians chapter four, verse 31 reads, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Here it is, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now with that as a a sort of biblical anchor, I want us to break this down into two basic parts today. Let's look first at the biblical description of bitterness and then second at the biblical prescription for how to deal with bitterness. And I'm convinced there are a few topics, if any, more personal, and more needed than this one. First of all, the biblical description of bitterness. Folks, (laughs) I want to make this clear and simple. We don't even need to spend much time here, frankly. When it comes to bitterness, the Bible has nothing good to say about it. Not a single positive word. One of the Best passages for you to look at would be like Hebrews 12, verse 15, where it says, see to it, that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many be defiled. The idea there is a sort of poison. That's what bitterness does. And the pages of scripture are replete with examples of and warnings about bitterness and how it can poison and destroy. All the way back in Genesis, for instance, in the very first family, Cain was bitter toward his brother Abel. He was also bitter toward God because God seemed to favor Abel's sacrifices more than his. His bitterness grew so deep, it led to the first murder recorded in Scripture as Cain killed his brother. And there are lots of other examples. I mean, think about Joseph's brothers who were bitter about the favoritism Joseph received from their father. So they sold him into slavery. Then we think of Naomi. Remember Naomi back in the Old Testament? She was bitter for a different reason, out of grief. You see, her husband and two sons had died and she was left in a dire situation and and bitterness grew in her heart. I'm reading now from Ruth. Chapter one, verse 20. She said, don't call me Naomi. She told them, call me Mara. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. I believe some of you may feel let down and even afflicted by God like Naomi did. If so, if so, be careful because it's so easy for a root of bitterness to begin to grow in your heart. Simon the sorcerer was a man the early apostles encountered. You can read this in the book of Acts. He was filled with bitterness. He was so envious of the apostles' ability to perform miracles, he tried to buy that power with money. But Peter rebuked him harshly. You read these words in Acts 8. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. The sobering truth is that bitterness can be fostered by almost any hurt or offense, big or or small. It can can be something as egregious as sexual abuse or other criminal activity, or it could be something as minor as you just feel someone isn't giving you enough attention. But the root, the root of bitterness can grow into a tree when it is watered by our incessant rehearsals of the way we've been mistreated. And we could look at many other biblical passages, but the bottom line is this, there's nothing good about bitterness. So we should avoid it like the plague. Now, with that brief biblical description, let's pivot now, let's pivot, and let's spend the remainder of our time focusing on the biblical prescription for bitterness. In other words, how to deal with it a popular bumper sticker says, I don't get mad, I get even. Whenever I see that bumper sticker, I want to tell you, I try to get away from that car. You know what I mean? I mean, that captures the spirit of a lot of people in our culture, unfortunately. Maybe you heard about the Desert Storm soldiers, a true story. While he was overseas serving in the military, he received a Dear John letter from his girlfriend. He was understandably devastated. He couldn't believe she was breaking up with him. And to make matters worse, the letter finished with this. She said, please send me back my favorite picture of myself because I would like to use that photograph for my engagement picture in the county newspaper. Wow, now that's cold. Well, all of his buddies heard about this and they decided they would help their friend out. So they went around and collected pictures of all the other soldiers' girlfriends, filled an entire shoebox with these pictures. And then they had him write a letter to his girlfriend that said, please find your enclosed picture and return the rest. For the life of me, I can't remember which one you were. <laughs> we we kind of like that on one level, but it's not a good prescription for bitterness. So let's look today at four things we can do to deal with a root of bitterness that may be growing in our lives. First, first, acknowledge the serious consequences of nursing bitterness. Dale Carnegie told about seeing a grizzly bear in Yellowstone National Park. The grizzly came out In the open, he came out to eat some discarded food that campers had left. None of the other animals dared come near the grizzly bear, but all of a sudden, this little skunk casually walked through the meadow and came right up to where the food was and began eating some of the bear's food. Now, that grizzly bear could have pulverized that skunk with one blow, but the bear just let him go And Dale Carnegie said, the reason was simple. The bear knew the high cost of getting even. And there's a high cost, friends, of getting even. Resentment, bitterness, and or revenge of any kind leaves a stench on you. And it not only grieves God's heart, it gradually destroys you as well. It's like a poison on the inside. Job five, verse two says, resentment kills a fool. Jesus instructed us not even to hate in our hearts, much, much less do it demonstrably. Remember again, that verse we kind of started with, Hebrews 12, 15, it says, see to it that no root of, no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and, and by it many be defiled. Remember that? Oh, the trouble bitterness can cause. I wanna tell you folks, it can lead to violence, it wrecks relationships, it can ruin your health, it sabotages friendships and often it is the very thing that silently destroys marriages. I'm reminded of the wife who bitterly announced to her husband, when you die, when you die, I'm gonna dance on your grave. So the man stipulated in his will that he should be buried at sea. (laughs) We have strange ways of getting revenge. People say things like, I'll get even with you if this is the last thing I do. Well, that's an awfully heavy responsibility to carry. And the damage that kind of bitterness causes is just beyond measure. acknowledge your bitterness to God and ask his forgiveness for it. Don't you love 1 John I 1, hope, 9? I hope you go to this verse often in your life. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But a second part of the prescription is pray for those who have hurt you. As a brand new Christian, just 13 years old, I memorized this passage in Matthew five. Listen to what it says. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus talking here says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons and daughters of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And then Jesus goes on with this. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? You say, Pastor Rex, you gotta be kidding me. Are you really saying to pray for those who persecute you? Yes, I am. Jesus is that radical, isn't that amazing? I know it seems impossible, but God's prescription for dealing with bitterness means you actually invoke a blessing on your persecutors. Now listen, listen, there's probably no aspect of Christian teaching that is more at odds with how our world operates than this. How do we respond to those who have been unkind to us. It seems so unnatural to be kind to them, doesn't it? I mean, that's why we need supernatural power from above in order to really live this way. But if praying for your enemies seems unfair to you, and if returning good for evil seems impossible to you, please remember that is precisely how Christ relates to us. Scripture says that we were once alienated from God and enemies because of our evil behavior. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He forgives our sins and buries them in the deepest sea. He forgives us even though we don't deserve it at all. And He calls us to treat others the way he treats us. But a third part of the prescription for dealing with bitterness is keep on forgiving and keep on releasing the person to God. Now, I'll admit my wording there may seem strange to some of you. You may think, isn't forgiveness just a one-time thing? You forgive and you're done. It's one and done and it's forever. Well. Most people find when they've been hurt deeply, most find that true forgiveness is more like a lifelong process, honestly. We try to forgive and release the person, but then we, then we have these recurring memories of the hurt, don't we? Little things happen. Little things keep bringing it back up in our mind. It, it, it might be a holiday or it might be the anniversary of the event as it rolls around on the calendar. It might be a scene in a movie that kind of jogs our memory and suddenly we feel those same old emotions flooding over us. Might be a song. Oh, songs, wow. They have an amazing way of being attached to events or seasons in our lives. Or you might be leafing through an old photo album and whammo, whammo, you feel bitterness rising up inside of you again. That's why I say forgiveness tends to be a lifelong process. Now, we know King David as a hero in the Old Testament. He's probably at least one of the top three revered figures in the Older Testament in our Bible. But what you may not know is that when King David was at perhaps the lowest point of his life, I mean, he's literally fleeing from Jerusalem because his own son, Absalom, is leading a revolt against him. As he's fleeing, a man named Shemiah, a relative of King Saul, David's predecessor, stood at the roadside, get this now, and threw rocks and cursed at King David. By the way, if you're interested, you can read about this in 2 Samuel chapter 16. And he said, get out of here, you man of blood, you scoundrel. God is paying you back for all the blood you shed of the household of Saul. That's what he said. Now that was not true. David had not killed Saul. (laughs) To the contrary, he refused to touch God's anointed. That was his attitude. He actually showed enormous patience as he waited for God's perfect timing for him to be anointed king in Saul's place. That's the truth. By the way, a little footnote here. Folks, I've learned that just about all God's leaders, many of you are leaders, all of God's leaders have a shimei in their lives. Think about that. A critic who appears to have knowledge inside scoop that others don't have about, you know, how things really are, the real scoop here. And that Shimei spreads doubts and lies and suspicions about the leader. It's, It's kind of funny when I read the story. My emotions get a little riled up. David's loyal bodyguard, Abishai, said, King, leave him to me. Let me go and just cut his head off. He's just a dead dog. Nobody should be able to curse the king like that and get away with that kind of slander. Are you kidding me? And as I'm reading that, a part of me is going, yeah, Abishai, go get him. Go slice his head off. (laughs) But David said, no, Abishai. Maybe God sent him out here to humiliate me. Let him go, let him go on. Can you believe that? I mean, what a gracious, forgiving man David was. Well, as we read on in that story, the revolt revolt fails. And a few weeks later, David returns to Jerusalem to reclaim his throne. And guess what? As he's coming back, Shimei, the man who'd cursed him, Comes running to meet him at the Jordan River and he begs for forgiveness. And Abishai says, No way, don't forgive him. He cursed the Lord's anointed. Let me execute him. And Shimei said to David, I have sinned. And David remembered, I think, that he had said those very words himself once. People who really know that they're forgiven are quicker to forgive. So he said to Abishai, no, we're not gonna execute Shimei today. This is gonna be a day of celebration. And he forgave Shimei again, and Shimei lived for many more years. But stick with me now, this story gets more interesting. Years later, when David was literally on his deathbed, he gave his final instructions to his son Solomon, you read about this in 1 Kings chapter 2, verses eight and nine. And he said, remember Shimei, the son of Gera, who called down bitter curses on me on that day. Don't consider him innocent. Bring his gray head down to the grave in blood. Wow. Why would David, such an admirable man in many ways, why? Would he on his deathbed of all places call for vengeance on Shimei? Because forgiveness is a lifelong process. It is not, mark my words, it is not one and done for most people. That's why I say keep on forgiving and releasing the person to God. Jesus said, forgive 70 times seven. Forgiveness is difficult and it's ongoing. So keep on forgiving and releasing the person to God. Turn it over to God and determine you're not gonna let bitterness reign in your life. Scripture instructs us in Romans 12, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. I like the way William Barclay puts it. He said, evil for evil is man's way. Evil for good is the devil's way. But good for evil is God's way. And his way should be our way. And finally today, last part of the prescription, remember what God has done for you. Remember that anchor passage we started with today, Ephesians 4? Well, part of verse 32 says, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Now, I I don't know how this works for you, but sometimes the best motivation I have to forgive someone is to think again about all that God has forgiven me. And when I remember, Just being honest here, when I remember all the pride and all the lust and all the laziness and all the envy God has forgiven me of and all the other things, somehow it brings me down off my pedestal of pride. It reminds me that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And remembering how gracious God is to me makes me wanna be gracious to others, just as God has been gracious to me. The verse says, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So let me ask you, has the well gone dry on your forgiveness? Corey Ten Boom stood in, stood in front of this man, this guard, this cruel guard from Ravensbrook, who was now asking for her forgiveness and you remember She froze. Corey was finding it humanly impossible to forgive. But I picked the story back up right where we left off. And I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, she writes. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. Jesus, help me. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And so, woodenly, Mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arms, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasp each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Would you pray with me, please? Father, humanly speaking, there may be nothing more challenging than forgiving people who have hurt us. Just like Corey 10 boom in this story. We need your power to forgive. Give us your forgiveness as Corey prayed. So I pray for all who may be listening who have a struggle with bitterness. Oh God, may it not get rooted and begin to grow in their soul, in their heart, and poison relationships. I ask today that we'd follow your prescription, the one given in scripture. And Father, we would be able to forgive and keep on forgiving and keep on releasing. And we would experience that incredible baptism of love that you bring whenever people are reconciled. And Father, as much as it depends on us, let us choose to live at peace with all people. It's not always... Humanly possible, we know that because it takes more than one. But as much as it depends on us, let's do our part. Help us to live at peace with all people. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.